Um, he, he really has all week, every time I'm in a room with him and someone else, he's been hyping this up. And so I hope it doesn't disappoint. Really what I think he's hyping up is the passage itself, uh, because it's, it's such a good passage. Um, and uh, I'm excited to share it with you guys this morning. This is going to be Revelation uh, chapter 19. I know. Revelation chapter 19, and it's going to be verses 11 through 21. Uh, I'm using the CSB Bible, the, the Pew Bible. If you got one in front of you and want to follow along with me, it's page 1102. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. We'll read the passage, pray, and uh, we'll just we'll go through it together and, and uh, worship the Lord together. Starting in verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white rider, a white horse, its rider called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses, of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accept the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. The word of God for us today. Let's say a prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage. I pray that it would draw us to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So reading through that, especially the, the last half of it, that's a bit of a heavy passage, right? So we'll start off a little lighter. And we'll talk about some football, okay? Jordan already <laughs> he, he mentioned the Super Bowl already. And, you know, I'm going to say something that might be uh, considered blasphemy in these parts. So just hang in there with me. Uh, I'm not particularly a huge fan of football. I know we have a business meeting tonight. Let's just relax, okay? Uh, I'm not a huge fan of football. I don't hate it. I, I do enjoy watching a good game, but I don't, I don't uniquely have a, a, a special interest in it uh, when it comes to watching it. I do enjoy watching a good game. I felt like the game uh, last Sunday it was a pretty good game. I was rooting for the Bengals. Uh, they didn't win, as you know. Uh, I felt I owed them loyalty because the quarterback and myself, we share the same last name. If you're visiting, my last name is Burrow, so we share the same last name. I felt I owed them some loyalty because of that, and I like to tell people he's my cousin, uh, and kind of watch, watch people be like, 
for real? You serious? I'm like, yeah, song of Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. But uh, obviously that's a joke, but maybe not. Maybe somehow we're like fifth cousins twice removed or whatever it is that people say when you want to be related to somebody. Uh, but um, I enjoyed watching the game, and there's a reason that we enjoy uh, watching games. Most of us, uh, it's enjoyable to watch any sport where there's some good competition, right? And the thing that makes watching a sport so entertaining is that usually when you're going in, we don't, we don't know the outcome of what's going to happen. Any game that you watch, there's always some chance, even if it's a small chance, that it could go either way. And even if one team is clearly better, the better team is still going to take some hits, right? That, that's sort of how this goes. And this is true for war, too. Uh, and, and that conversation isn't a joyful one like sports may be, but when opposing groups come to battle, we can't say for sure with absolute certainty what's going to happen until it happens. And both sides are going to take some hits, But this passage here in Revelation 19, it tells us about a battle that's coming that really isn't much of a battle at all. And it tells us with absolute certainty who will be victorious and who's going to come out absolutely untouched. And the only reason that is possible is because the one leading that army, it is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, Revelation, it's, it's not one of the simpler books of the Bible. If you've read it or been here the past few weeks have we've, as we've gone through it, you know that's true. It's, it's not one of the simpler books. It's filled with prophecy and imagery and, and some things that may be literal and other things that may be metaphors. Uh, and it can be daunting to try and figure out what all of that means. And you could have 20 different people in here with 20 different opinions about what is being said in this book. This is God's word, so we can be sure that every part of it is profitable for us as God's people. But I want to remind you, and I want to encourage you, and I think Jordan has done this well as as he's been going through these passages um, in Revelation. I want to remind you, don't let some of the difficult things to understand distract you from the thing that is absolutely clearly revealed in this book. And that is that Jesus Christ is king and he is Lord and he will defeat Satan and death forever and ever and he will make all things new for his people. That is clear in this book and that is our hope. So verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened up and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True and with justice he judges and he makes war. You know, Jesus Christ, in Scripture, he has two comings. The first coming, he came in human weakness. Philippians 2, it says that though Christ was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something for him to hold on to. It wasn't something for him to grasp and keep to himself. He didn't view it that way. He gave up that form. He took on the likeness and the weakness of man. And in his first appearance, it was in the weakest human form possible, right? A baby. That's how he came, and it had to be that way. But the second coming, the one that this passage is talking about, there is no weakness about him. There's absolutely none. He himself, he will open up the heavens. He himself will ride out on a white horse, and he will judge, and he will make war, and he will bring justice. Verse 12 says, his eyes were like a fiery flame and there were many crowns 
on his head. His eyes are like fire because he sees all. He sees everything. Like there's, there's nothing that can be hidden from him on that day. And there is nowhere to hide that he can't see. There's no sin that can be committed that he's not already aware of. He will come on a white horse. And that white horse, what it represents is royalty. Like it's, it's going to be made clear to us on that day that Jesus Christ, he really is king. This isn't a baby that came. This is the king of kings and lord of lords come to bring justice and judgment. There's no sin that can be committed that he can't know. No one can fool him. They can't say on that day, hey, we believed. We were good. We had faith in you. He can't be tricked into thinking that someone believed in him. He sees the heart of everyone, and he knows where the true faith is. He will be wearing many crowns. These crowns, they represent royalty, authority, majesty, power. Because that's who he is. And in the presence that he comes with, he will have that power, that royalty. And the first coming as a little baby, it, it was quiet, right? And I'm, I'm not talking about just the space that he was in. He was a baby, so there would have been crying and a, a lot going on in that space. But I mean, in relation to the world, that first coming, it was quiet, no one knew other than Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the wise men. There was an entire earth filled with people who at that time had no clue that God had just entered the atmosphere. But on this day, when this happens, the entire world will know that God has come. It tells us that the writer is called faithful and true. Jesus is faithful and he is true, which compared to the heart of mankind, he is exactly the thing that you and I couldn't be. In our sinful flesh, Scripture says that no one is good. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. And when we were not faithful, when we were not true, Jesus Christ came being what we couldn't be. He came faithful and true. And on that day when he returns, that's not going to have changed. He will be faithful and he will be true. Verses 13 and 14 tells us when he comes, his robe will be dipped in blood and the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Now there's typically two understandings of what that means, of why his blood is dipped in robe, and why his robes are dipped in blood and exactly whose blood it is that his robe has been dipped in. Some think it's his own blood that was shed on the cross, and the other understanding is that it's the blood of his enemies. And I tend to lean toward this being the blood of his enemies, uh, specifically because in Isaiah chapter 63, there's an Old Testament prophecy uh, of this day, and this is the prophecy that Isaiah receives, and he's having this conversation with God about it. This is verses 1 through 4 of Isaiah 63. Isaiah says, he asks, who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Bozrah? And then God responds, saying, It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Then Isaiah responds, asking, Why are your clothes red and your garments like the one who treads a winepress? And God says, I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger and grounded them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered my garments, and all my clothes were stained. For I planned the day of vengeance and the year of my redemption came. So you can see the connection there. You'll see it again in verse 15 of, of our passage today. It says, he will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. 
And the thing that really makes his, blood, his robe being dipped in blood so significant uh, for us is that the army that is with him, which is, will be us, his saints, his people, those robes are pure and white. In other words, Jesus will be the only one doing anything that day. Like we, we get to be the spectators. We won't actually be participating in any battle because Jesus is the only one who can actually do it. And the white linen, it, it's, it's also just this beautiful representation of our crimson sins being washed white as snow, which is also talked about in Isaiah. You know, it, it can be easy for us to look at ourselves as believers and think, I'm really not worthy of this salvation. I'm not worthy to be in God's presence. You might look at these passages in Revelation and think, I'm not worthy to be in his army, clothed in pure white linen. I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. And it's true that on our own efforts, we're not. No one is worthy. But I want to encourage you uh, this morning that you, you don't have to dwell in that kind of thinking because Jesus Christ, who is worthy, he makes us worthy. And that is the gospel. He makes us worthy. We don't have to dwell in the doubts and the fears of, I'm just, I'm not good enough. That doesn't have to live within us because he who is worthy makes us worthy. Verse 15, it says, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. When this day comes, we can be certain that Jesus, he's not actually coming with a sword. This metaphor is telling us Jesus will handle this day with nothing but his word. There really isn't going to be a battle. Jesus will speak his judgment and it will pass. He doesn't have any need for weapons. He doesn't have a need for armor. All he needs is his word. And that's how it's always been. The same breath that told Lazarus to come out of the tomb after Lazarus was dead, and he did come out of the tomb. The same breath that told a paralyzed man to get up and walk, and he got up and walked. The same breath that told the winds and the waves to stop, and they stopped. The same breath that in the beginning said, let there be light. The same breath that on the cross cried out, it is finished. That same breath will speak judgment on this day. And the false prophet and the beast and his followers and the enemies of God and his people will be destroyed. And the time will soon come after that, that Satan and even death itself will be destroyed. And Christ will accomplish it with his word with the sword that is his mouth, because that's all he needs. Now, I want you to think, if Christ can speak in those ways with that power, be certain there is power in this word that he's given to us. In the word that he's given to us, that is scripture. James tells us that this has the power to save us. Timothy tells us that it has the power for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. David tells us in the Psalms that it has the power to keep us from sinning. Romans tells us it gives us hope. It tells us that it also gives us faith. It helps us grieve. It offers encouragement. It is life-giving. God's Word is literally life-giving to those who read it. And I'm convinced, I really am, that no matter what circumstance you are facing right now, no matter where you are in life, whatever it is you're dealing with, Scripture has something to offer you in that circumstance. 
So whatever it is we're going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is, God, through his grace, he's handed us his word saying, this is for you. For right now, whatever right now looks like, this word is for you. And if we're handling life apart from his word, apart from scripture, I'll just tell you, we are doing it wrong. If our go-to is always a resource that's apart from this book, we are doing it wrong. And I want to be clear that there are resources apart from Scripture that should be used oftentimes and can be used. Uh, But if it's the only thing that we're using, if we neglect this and go to other things, whatever the other things are, really, it's idolatry. And we're doing it wrong. God has said that man shall not live on bread alone, or in other words, man shall not live on fill-in-the-blank alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by God's word. And the reason that his word is so powerful is because of the nature of the one whose word it is. In verse 16, we are told that nature. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's proved it from the, from the way he came in as a baby, as I talked about earlier, the way he came in through the virgin birth, he proved it to his first miracle, turning water into wine. He proved it to casting out demons, healing the sick, raising people from the dead. He himself, his last miracle, he himself being raised from the dead, all while living in this perfect righteousness that none of us could bear, none of us could do, He proved it. We can be certain Christ is who he says he is. He is king and he is Lord. And this verse, him being king and Lord, it should offer God's people a great assurance of our salvation. Because the only way that we could be saved by Jesus Christ is if he he is who he says he is. The only way we can have salvation is if the king and Lord says we can be saved. That's the only way. If Jesus isn't King and Lord, we don't have salvation. If he's King and Lord, we have it. And he is King and Lord, which means we have it. If the King of Kings and Lord of Lords says his blood covers our sins, that means his blood covers our sins. If the King, and King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords says his followers can't be snatched out of his hands, that means we can't be snatched out of his hands. If King and Lord says those who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life, we won't perish and we will have eternal life because the King and Lord said it. I remember when I was in high school, uh, our church did a revival. I grew up in a church where revivals were common, as is here. Uh, I was probably 14 or 15, and the guy who preached, uh, every night he would close his message like this. He would say, Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? You may have heard this at some point. And I remember vividly every night of that revival hearing that question and immediately doubts would creep into my heart. And I remember begging God each night in fear that I was lost. God, if I'm not saved, please save me tonight. The next night would come, God, if I'm not saved, please save me tonight. And really, as I kind of moved forward through high school after that, I had many nights where I was praying that prayer. God, if I'm not saved, please save me. If I'm not saved, please save me. 
And looking back at myself, at that 14-year-old kid, I feel sorry for me because that fearful mindset, that's not what Jesus intended when he gave the invitation, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That invitation is an invitation to freedom from sin, from shame, from guilt and worry. It's an invitation to assurance. And I can't speak for everyone here. I don't, I don't know, but I can speak for me, and I'll be honest with you and tell you, if you ask me enough times if I really am sure that I'm saved, at some point, there's going to be some doubt, even if it's just a little bit that creeps into my heart. Really, I think most of the time, that sort of question presumes doubt when it's asked. Uh, but as well-intentioned as that preacher was, he asked a question that left me thinking that assurance of salvation depended on me. But really, it depends on Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't have a perfect faith. No one in this room has a perfect faith. We're all aware that no one here has a perfect faith, right? And I have moments where my flesh, it, it allows doubt to creep into my heart. And I'll hear things that say, if you were really a follower of Jesus, you'd be better. Right? You've all probably had this thought before. If you really knew Christ, you wouldn't have done what you just did there. A real Christian would be a better dad. A real Christian would be a better husband, a better friend, a better person. If you really knew Jesus, your life would be a little bit better. I've been uh, listening to Scripture the, the past few weeks on this Bible listening app. It's called Dwell. I highly recommend it. It's been fantastic just on my drive each morning to just hear God's Word. Uh, and I've been in Genesis and Exodus so far the past few weeks. And there are things that happen there. If you've read Genesis and Revelation, you can think of something. But there are things that happen that are really they're kind of hard to sit through. They're, they're hard to wrestle with when you hear them. And just in these past few weeks, I've had doubtful moments when I've heard some of these difficult passages. If God's really good, why would he have done what he just did there? Or that passage really didn't make any sense. Are, are you sure God's word is legit? Like we say it's legit? And then I start to feel guilty because of those doubts. And then I start to doubt because I had those doubts. And it's this like cycle that happens uh, there in my flesh. But in those moments, thank God for passages like Revelation 19 that remind me exactly who Jesus Christ is. King of kings, Lord of lords. And I can be reminded, oh, his blood covers my doubts too. That's the gospel. Like his blood covers it no matter what it is. It's covered. Nobody in this room is perfect, right? We've, we've established that. I'm assuming we all agree with that. Even the most faithful Christian in here will fall short today. We will all fail today. If you're a mom in the room right now, you will fail as a mother today. If you're a dad, you will fail as a father today. I'm aware this isn't sounding like the greatest pep talk right now. Just, just bear with me here because I want to tell you, if you are in Christ Jesus, who is King and Lord, it's okay. His blood covers it. If you're married, you will fall short as a spouse today. It's okay. His blood covers it. Everyone in here will fall short. Your obedience will fall short. Your faith will fall short. It's okay. 
because the King of King and Lord of Lords' blood covers it. And I don't say that to minimize sin because sin is, it's as we know it, sin and detrimental. And we should still take it serious, but the shame and guilt that comes with it, it doesn't have to rule over us. We can mess up and still go to sleep at night peacefully knowing that the King and Lord, His blood covers us. And even if you don't go to sleep peacefully and you have a night where you don't sleep well and doubt sort of creeps in, it's okay because His blood covers it. And that's the gospel. Verse 17 through 21, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. You know, I've always thought this, and and this is one of the passages that really kind of make me think this, the Bible has some of like the greatest smack talk of all time, right? Like you read that and you're just like, that's some smack talk right there, right? Uh, uh, I've just always thought that. And here's another one. This is another one of my favorite smack talk moments. Uh, This is David and Goliath. Uh, As you're all familiar with the story, I'm sure. David and and Goliath, they come up to, to fight and Goliath sees David, he gets a glimpse of who he is, and he starts doing sort of his own trash talk. And uh, Goliath says, what am I, a dog to you that you send me this little stick to fight me? Which, if I'm being unbiased, that's not bad. It's not some bad, some bad smack talk there. Uh, but David responds, this is 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. He says, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I will strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. That's some smack talk. Uh, but the, the concept between those, these two moments, the, the one with David and Goliath and the one here in Revelation 19, uh, it, it's, it's the same. You have here the false prophet, the beast, kings and men, military leaders. They gather together as an army to come against God and his righteousness and his people. And you have an angel of God calling out to the birds in the sky, hey, are you ready? Because if not, you need to get ready because you're about to have a feast. That, that's the message the angel is, is sending there. And in, in Revelation 19, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, and passages like that, the reason that there can be that level of confidence in their smack talk uh, is because they know and are confident in the one who's really doing the battle. The angel here, David, they know And are confident that God is the one who's doing the fighting. And if it's God's battle, God's winning. And when this day comes, there will be mortal men who think that they can take on the kingdom of heaven. And with his breath, Christ will prove that's not happening. And something you'll notice is that the people who make up the enemies of God, 
it includes every kind of person. He starts off listing kings, military commanders, the mighty, those who ride horses. The point here is that this will include, this army, it will include some of the fiercest people on earth, people that would make the average person a little bit terrified. People with power and resources. They aren't weak people compared to people, but when facing God, they're just people. That's it. People that he created and then he will destroy. And he goes on to say that the flesh of everyone will be there, both slave and great and small and free. These are the kinds of people that will be there. In other words, every kind of person will be present. No matter who you are, God's not going to pick out like his favorite sinners and skip judgment on them. I mean, really, he's, he's not going to pick out the few that maybe weren't as bad as the rest and say, oh, you, I guess you weren't really dealt a good hand in life, so you get a pass, or you weren't as bad as some of the other ones, you get a pass. Like, that's, that's not what's going to happen. He's going to say, and he's going to pass his judgment with his word. Scripture says that those who are not of Christ are not for Christ, they are against Christ. And those against him, whether kings or military leaders or slaves or free people, or great people, or small people, the enemies of Christ will face judgment. Now, the beauty here of God not playing favorites is that the invitation to come to Him, to come to Christ, and be given rest and eternal life and forgiveness, that invitation, it's open to everyone. It's open to kings, to military leaders, to the mighty, to the great, to the slave to the free, to the small, to everyone. He's opened it up. And then these last uh, few verses here, starting in verse 19, it says, Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet, who had performed these signs in its presence, he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds ate their fill of the flesh. I think that you all know by now from hearing me preach uh, the times that you have, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher, Right? The, the ones that are probably love passages like these. Uh, but that's not me. But I also, I, I want to be honest to the text here and tell you, God is patient. He's proven it. He is patient. From the first prophecy of Jesus Christ, all the way back in Genesis, to his birth, thousands of years passed between those two events. And now here we are today. He was murdered and he resurrected and he ascended into heaven promising to return thousands of years have passed since then so it's it's been made clear god is patient he has been patient because he really does want everyone to be saved that's his heart that's his character it's his nature he desires all men to be saved but his patience it will not last forever let me give you an analogy that, that may or may not be helpful. In a much more condensed scale in terms of time, think of parent, parenting. If my, Alice, if my daughter Alice, who, who is three years old, 
right? She's a toddler. If she's doing something she's not supposed to do, we'll usually give her three chances to do right. If you're a parent, you've probably done this too. We'll tell her, Alice, what you're not doing, what you're doing is not okay. You need to stop. And because she's a toddler, as toddlers do, she'll continue on to do the thing that we just told her to stop. And we'll come again as she keeps doing it. Alice, please stop. This isn't the right way to play or the right way to do whatever it is that she's doing. And she keeps doing it as toddlers do. Alice, last warning. You need to stop. And if she keeps on, then there's punishment. And it's time out or the toy's taken away or, or whatever it is that she needs for her to understand and, and to, ex- to have a punishment. And it's similar in a much more expanded way, of course, with God. For thousands of years, he's been communicating through his word, you're not living right. Judgment is coming. You need to trust Christ. Where there is hope and where there is salvation and where there is forgiveness. And this is the message to those apart from Jesus Christ. He's warning you about your sin and about the coming judgment. And offering you the only way into the kingdom. But his patience, it's not going to last forever. And the day is coming when a rider on a white horse, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, opens the heavens, the one who is called faithful and true. His eyes will be like fire and his robe will be dipped in blood and a name will be written on his thigh and on his robe, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when that happens, it's too late for God's enemies. But it doesn't have to be for you. Today can be the day of salvation for you. That is the gospel. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't don't push it off and say, I like the message, you know, but maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. All you have is today. All you're guaranteed is right now. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He has grace that is ready to be poured out on anybody who would come. He wants you to come. That's the gospel. He wants you to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this passage that reminds us exactly who you are and what your nature is. King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I pray that as a church, this passage would edify our hearts this week and it would remind us of the hope that we have in you. I pray that it would encourage us in our salvation and give us the hope to look forward to what's to come. If someone here doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that you would add them to your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen.